it's your turn. I'm up. I'm up. I'm up. I'll let you sleep. Why don't you let me sleep? Ow. You giving me dirty looks isn't gonna make the light turn sooner, buddy. Yes, I know. I only have 159 more copies to make, so of course I'd like to hear about your aunt's 12-hour abdominal surgery. Yes, ma'am. You're right. You're always right. I'll redo the entire presentation. People are crazy. Aw, oh, sounds like it was a hard day. Maybe tomorrow will be better. Thanks, honey. My wife, Jen, is from the upper Midwest, and we were traveling home from her hometown, Sioux Falls, several years ago, and it was the first time we had traveled with a kid. Uh, Jackson had been born, and you guys know who have kids, grandkids, when you travel with kids or grandkids, it, it changes things, right? Especially the, the luggage situation changes. And uh, we had all of our paraphernalia for, for Jackson, and this was Christmas time, we were coming home, so we had Christmas gifts, and we had one bag, we didn't wanna pay extra for the, for the bag, so we got everything into this huge bag. It was an engineering marvel, it was a feat. But what we didn't realize was that the Sioux Falls airport was, you know, it was a small airport. It didn't have the machines that you could, that run the baggage through and x-ray it or whatever. So the TSA agent had to hand search every single piece of luggage that went onto the plane. And so this masterpiece, a masterpiece of packing and ingenuity had to be taken out piece by piece. And as the agent is going through all the luggage and taking everything out of this big bag, I feel, you know when you can feel someone getting closer and closer to you? You can just sense them, your spotty sense goes off and you just, you know somebody's around you. And then I heard this, behind me, just deep breaths behind me, and just the, the heat of someone behind me. And finally, the person behind me said, as our bag's being searched, he said, uh, excuse me, can we go around them? We didn't overpack. <laughs> and I just turned around and gave a, a nice look, you know, in the name of Jesus, just gave a nice look, didn't say anything, just gave a nice, a nice look. And uh, the TSA agent continued to kind of do their work and do their job, was going through everything. And then, right, uh, started putting everything back in the bag, which, you know, we had a whole manual and sheet of paper for how everything had to be placed in the bag. And we're trying to, so you can't touch the, the, the things once it's been checked. So he's trying to put everything in there and doing a great job. And the person, this gentleman behind us says, that's never going to get all in the bag. That's, you're, you're, you've overpacked. All that stuff is not going, and at this point, I did turn around and say a few words. Um, I wanted to say, you better thank God that I know God this morning, sir, but I didn't say that. I just said, you need to back off and mind your own business. So he's, you know, he, he and I had this thing going on, Jen's elbowing me and telling me to not just ignore him. The agent gets everything back in the bag, does a great job, pulls the handle shut, and I'm thinking we're finally through this experience. Everybody can get on with their life and move on with their day and get on their planes. And right at the last pull, the handle rips off the luggage and everything comes flying out of the luggage. The TS agent uh, hands me a sheet of paper and says, you can write this address in Washington, D.C., 
and get a refund for your bag. I've been waiting 13 years. I'll let you know I have not received a refund for my bag. But in that moment, as things are all over the place and we're trying to figure out what we're gonna do, I hear the voice one more time behind me, one more time. He adds this in my moment of despair. He says, I told you so. <laughs> told you so. We had a few more words. There are difficult people all around us. Can I get, can I get an amen on that? Right with me? Okay. How about this one? We are all difficult people to people all around us. So, so a little bit on that one. I'm not sure, not sure about that one. Sure about the first one. The truth is that that guy is probably up telling his church this morning about this sandpaper person that overpacked and caused him to miss his flight. Sandpaper was invented in the 13th century by the Chinese. And it's been a useful tool ever since. It was, it was popularized by the Swiss 200 years ago. It's used all over the world. Every good craftsman has sandpaper in their toolbox, right? And Jesus was what? What did he do by, by way of vocation and trade? Oh, yeah. He was a carpenter. He was a craftsman. He made things. He, he built things. And the truth is that sandpaper is an incredible tool, when it's used the right way, when it's in the hands of a craftsman, it becomes an essential tool to, to smooth out rough edges and, and to finish off a masterpiece, a, a work that someone, that someone has engineered or built. It's, it's an essential tool. But if it's in the wrong hands, like you wouldn't want me to come to your house and build anything or work on anything. If it's in the wrong hands, it can scratch. It can tear up something. And so when we think about using the metaphor of sandpaper for difficult or frustrating or even disappointing relationships in our life, the truth is that we need to place those difficult relationships in the hands of the master craftsman, Jesus. And when we place those people, including ourselves, because spoiler alert, maybe the most difficult person in your life this year is you. The most difficult sandpaper person in your life, the person that rubs you the wrong way is the one looking in the mirror. And the truth is that we have to not only once, but continually place difficult relationships in the hands of Jesus because he's able to take sandpaper people and use them for good in our lives, to mold us, to craft us, to shape us more and more into the image of God. I want to give Mary Sutherland credit for this title, Sandpaper People. She wrote a book carrying that name years ago that I read, and it stuck with me ever since. I want to start with reading a passage of scripture that I believe is foundational as we start this series about relationships. Again, we're using sandpaper people as a metaphor for difficult relationships. The, the reality is that every single relationship that we're in can be difficult at times. So when we, when we approach this series, don't just think about the people in your life that rub you the wrong way or annoying or confusing that you work with or your neighbors, whatever. Of course, we all have those people. But the truth is that in every relationship, in your marriages, in your parenting, in your friendships, in your co-working relationships, every relationship goes through moments and seasons where, that are disappointing, that are hurtful, that are frustrating, that are confusion, confusing. And God has something to say about those relationships, each and every one of them. So that's how we should rightly approach approach this series as we begin this five-week study. But let's also start by looking at God's Word, because again, God has something to say about the difficult relationships in our lives. 
Let's begin with Ephesians chapter five. If you have your Bibles, I wanna encourage you to open to Ephesians chapter five. If you're following along on the New City app, it's already preloaded there and you can take notes that way as well. Ephesians chapter five, the apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. In chapter four, just to give a little context, he's just been busy writing about this new life that they have in Jesus and how when we accept Jesus, when we believe in Jesus, we cross from death to life, and now he's beginning to instruct them how you can begin to walk in those relationships. How do you then live as a Christian? Some of you have been following Jesus for years, and this is wonderful instruction to be reminded again of who you are in Jesus. You're a new creation called to a new life. How do you live and walk that out? For some of you, you're just starting a relationship with Jesus. For some of you, you're exploring a relationship with Jesus. This is part of what it means to follow Jesus, that in every area of your life, especially your relationships, the light and the life of Christ come through. So let's look at Ephesians chapter five. Paul's writing about relationships and he says this, therefore be imitators of God. You know, the world is full of different things that are saying, imitate me, follow me, look at me, listen to me. Paul says, if you want to follow Jesus, be an imitator of God. Imitate your life based on the actions and the words that you see in Jesus. Be imitators of God, Paul writes, as beloved what? Children. You're not a robot. You're not a stranger to God. You're a child of God. You're a son. You're a daughter. And, and out of that, this is so important, okay? Out of your, your horizontal relationships, your relationships with other people, right? The relationships that go this way. All of your horizontal relationships as a Christian come out of a vertical relationship with God. Your horizontal relationships are a reflection of the vertical relationship that you have with God as father. As a son, as a daughter, that's your primary identity. And it's out of that that you operate and live towards one another. I share this passage in every marriage that I perform because I believe that this is the foundational passage, one of the foundational passages in the New Testament about living in relationship with one another. Every relationship, not only the marriage relationship, as parents, um, with your coworkers, with your friends, with your neighbors, with everyone. Paul says, be imitators of God as beloved children. And then listen to this, one more verse today, verse two, Ephesians five. And walk in what? in love as Christ loved us. In other words, you're able to walk in love towards other people, even difficult people, because you've been loved. This is a foundational teaching of the Christian faith that we love because we were first loved. You've heard me say it before, it's worth saying again. Loved people love people. Hurt people hurt people. Loved people love other people. Paul says, in the way that you've been loved, now you're able to love other people. So he says, walk in love as Christ loved you, as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Love always moves us into a position, into a posture, into a relationship of giving. We live in a culture and a society that says every relationship in your life, everything in your life is meant to serve you and something you need to get from it. And Paul reframes all of this biblically and says, no, relationships begin first and foremost with your relationship with God and spill over to other people. And it's not about what you can get, first of all, it's about what you can give. 
So, so, so the primary question kind of to, to frame this whole series up, this is such an important series about relationships, and we're going to have so much fun diving into God's word together in the next month. But to frame all this up is not about what you can do to fix the people around you. It's about what God can do to work in your life, how he wants to uh, smooth out the rough edges relationally in your heart, how he wants to work in you before he works in other people. So to think about this, think about it this way. Take great notes and think about the sandpaper people in your life, but begin with yourself. What does God need to do in my life so that I can be a giver in my relationships and not a taker? This is what Paul is busy saying here in Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 2, a foundational passage about all of our relationships, particularly as we talk about difficult, frustrating, confusing relationships, also known as sandpaper people. Let's pray together. God, as we come to your word, as we come to this series on a, on a new year, as we, we embark on a new decade, would you speak to us fresh and anew from your truth? We, 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 just, we just believe today, we just believe that you have spoken through your word, that you still speak through your word, and that it never returns empty or void. And so we pray today, God, that you would work through us, that you would work in us, and that you would use sandpaper people, difficult people in our lives to smooth out our rough edges, that we would look at ourselves and that you would teach us compassion and empathy for other people, that you would push us towards healthy conversations and, and even boundaries that we need to set with one another. And more than anything, for our entire church family, that you would show grace upon grace from the fullness of who you are, Jesus. We pray that in your name and all God's people said together, Amen. Amen. So today, as we start the series, Sandpaper People, we're going to look at three truths about sandpaper people. And th th these foundational truths are going to run all throughout the series. So if you've if you got a pen or a pencil or anything, I want to encourage you to take a few notes or take it on the app. We're going to talk about three truths for sandpaper people. The first is that we all have them in our lives. We all have sandpaper people in our lives. And we got a huge amen on that. Everybody agrees that we have difficult relationships all around us. One of the, the things that I love about the Bible from start to finish is it's full of difficult people. This is not a fairy tale with, with uh, people in some mystical land that don't have problems like us or don't live uh, life like us or don't have hard relationships. These are people that have hard lives, hard relationships, difficult decisions, uh, difficult situations and circumstances. From Genesis to Revelation, real people in real relationships with real problems just like us. And so we don't have to look much further than the scriptures to see sandpaper people. I mean, Abraham had Lot. If you're in our Bible reading plan, we've been reading through Genesis. We're into Job now. It's not too late to catch up with us. If, as you're reading through the scriptures this year together as a church family, you're going to read about all these difficult relationships. Abraham, Lot. How about Jacob and Esau? Remember that one? A, a, a difficult relationship for both of them. Uh, Esther had Haman. David had Saul. Tried to kill him. Jonah had the Ninevites, didn't want to go to Nineveh and preach, right? Didn't want them to know about God and repent. I don't want those people to turn to God. Think about that. You ever thought, don't raise your hand, you ever thought that about somebody in your life? <laughs> Joseph had his brothers. They only sold him into slavery, left him for dead. Difficult relationship. Moses had Pharaoh. Their relationship got spoiled 
got turned against one another. And then the reward for Moses leading his people out of Egypt was that all one million plus people that he was leading were his sandpaper people. All of them complaining every step of the way. Uh, Elijah had Jezebel. Jesus had the scribes, right? And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the religious institution of the day were his sandpaper people. And I think as we read the scriptures and the stories with his disciples, I think at one point or another, all 12 of his disciples were his sandpaper people. They were difficult. They weren't easy relationships. Paul had John Mark. Remember, Paul wanted to leave John Mark behind because he didn't think he was fit for ministry. And he and Barnabas got into a conflict over it and they went their separate ways. Barnabas had Paul. From what we read in the Bible, Paul could be a difficult person, a little stubborn, hard to deal with. He probably was the sandpaper person for Barnabas. We all have them. The Bible is full of difficult relationships. And the amazing thing is that, again, God uses them for his good, for his purposes, for his glory. It's not just you that has sandpaper people in your life. And by the way, yours is not the worst. Your sandpaper person is not the worst. They may feel like the worst to you, but they're not. The truth is that we're all broken people, meaning, everyone watch this, we all fall short of God's standard. We all fall short of how we're meant to treat other people and moreover, treat ourselves. Because we're broken, flawed people, we don't treat ourselves with kindness and grace and love and truth at times, and we certainly don't treat other people that way at times. We're all broken. And to be in relationship, to do this thing called life, even just checking out at the grocery store, to do any kind of relationship or interaction is to embrace vulnerability and hurt and disappointment and being misunderstood and on and on and on. In fact, C.S. Lewis wrote it this way about vulnerability and the difficulty of relationships and the worth of difficult relationships in his book, The Four Loves. He talks about the four Greek words in the Bible for the different types of loves that we have. And this is what he writes about relationships. He says, there is no safe investment. There is no safe relationship. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly even broken. Are you with me? If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, that it will never be broken, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it instead carefully around with little hobbies and luxuries. Insulate it and avoid all entanglements. Lock it up. Lock your heart up safe in a casket or a coffin of your own selfishness, Lewis wrote. Ouch. But in that casket, safe and dark, motionless, airless, your heart will change. It won't be broken, no, no. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love and relationship with one another is hell. Whoa. In other words, what Lewis is saying is to do this thing called life, to live in relationship with anyone is to embrace vulnerability, hurt, and disappointment. And what does God have to say about that? He has a lot to say about it. 
We all are, have sandpaper people in our lives. But here's the second truth. I said there were three. Here's the second one. We all are sandpaper people. Shockingly, someone is going to take copious notes in this sermon series and be thinking about you. <laughs> and that's difficult for us to understand or even agree with, but it's the truth. You have someone or some people in your life today that find you difficult. You frustrate them. You disappoint them. They may be closer than you think. They might be sitting beside you today. All of our relationships, every one of them, from marriage to parenting to friendship to, to working relationships, any type of relationship, the truth is, is full of difficulty, of confusion, of disappointment, and we're a part of it. It begins with us. I'm difficult for other people. Don't say amen too, too loudly. I can be frustrating to people. I know I can let people down. I am a sandpaper person. And just saying that out loud in front of you, there's something that readjusts in my heart that causes me to give grace and empathy towards other difficult people. I know I can be difficult. I know that I've been forgiven much in my life and others have offered much grace. And it calls me out of my stuff to say, can I not offer grace and love to others? Self-awareness is one of the most difficult character traits to come by, wouldn't you agree? It's difficult because Oftentimes, self-awareness requires difficult relationships, circumstances, and people who are willing to tell us the truth, who are willing to hold up a mirror to us and say, there's something here that you need to see about yourself, and it's not always pretty. Most of us would rather cut off people in our lives to unfollow them, to block them if they tweet at us, if they come at us, if they give a word to us, if they, to use a biblical word, if they rebuke us, if they give us a strong correction, a loving correction, even a, a kind or gentle correction. Many of us wanna cut those people off to write them off because we don't want people to challenge us or call us out. But the reality is God gives us people who are willing to do that and calls us to do the same in love, to help one another, to restore one another, to encourage each other, to help to build one another. Listen to what Jesus said about self-awareness. This is fascinating in the context of relationships, particularly difficult relationships. Matthew chapter seven, verses one through five. Maybe just write the reference down, but listen to these words. This is Jesus teaching, and he's talking about self-awareness. He begins by saying, judge not that you not be judged. How about that? For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus says, first and foremost in relationships, in every relationship, look at yourself. Look at what you bring to the table. One of the questions that I ask every single couple in premarital counseling 
is to do an exercise where they ask one another how they experience each other in difficult moments. Now, this is not an exercise that you need to practice when you're arguing, okay? So when you're, when you're really going at it and having a fight, you don't need to like do an introspection of you know, how you experience each other in conflict. But when you're in a good place, when you're on a walk, when you're having coffee, when you're having dinner, say to your significant other, to your spouse, how do you experience me? Ask them, how do you experience me in conflict? That's a dangerous and courageous question. What you're asking for is a mirror to be held up to you, which is, by the way, good godly relationships do that for all of us. They hold a mirror up. They help to shape us and form us in the image of God. I'm convinced that relationship and community is one of the greatest tools, if not the greatest discipleship tool that God uses to make us more into his image. How do you experience me when we have conflict? Am I harsh with my words? Am I cutting? Am I sarcastic? Am I withdrawing or withholding? Do I run away? A courageous question to ask. Jesus says, look at the log that's in your own eye before you just go around pointing out everybody else's specs. Instead of criticizing everybody else and seeing all the flaws, and there's many, right? We said we're, we all have uh, sandpaper people in our lives. We all are sandpaper people, meaning we're all broken people. There's all kinds of things that we can critique and look at in other people. But Jesus says, start in your own heart. Bring your own heart before the Lord and ask him to, to help you. Offer grace to yourself through Jesus. Ask for forgiveness for your own shortcomings. Ask God to help you with the things in your own life, your words, your tone with people, the, the way that you offer grace to other people, the way you carry yourself towards other people. For those of you who are uh, managers of other people, how you care for the people that are in your employ, for your children in your home, for your spouse, for your neighbors that God's placed around you. Help me to be self-aware. Another great question to ask yourself in conflict and difficult relationships. This is, this is hard stuff, but this is so necessary. It's good. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7. Another great question to underline what Jesus is saying is, what is my part in this conflict that I'm experiencing? Takes two to tango, guys. Takes two to tango. And the opposite of love is not anger, by the way. The opposite of love is not anger. The opposite of love is apathy. The opposite of love is I don't care about you enough to even have a conversation with you. I don't care about you enough to even have an argument with you. Don't confuse anger and frustration as being opposite to love. It's a part of working out your love towards other people. What is my part in this conflict? What is my part in this sandpaper relationship? What is my part in this difficult situation? What can I own here? What can I work on? What can I ask for forgiveness? How can I use my words better? What thought patterns am I having that are not up to God's standards that fall short of what God's calling me to? What ways am I not walking in love? What Paul wrote about in Ephesians chapter five. What is my part? We all have sandpaper people in our lives. We all are sandpaper people. Final truth today, God uses sandpaper people. They are one of the most useful tools in his toolbox to shape us, to mold us, to build us into his people. And if they're handled rightly, in other words, if you place those people in God's hands, beginning with yourself in the master craftsman's hands, 
He can use them to smooth out the rough edges in your own heart, to smooth out the rough edges in your soul with your words, with your actions, the things that God needs to work on to make you more in his image. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have some, some progress, some work to do in your own heart? How many of you aren't perfect yet? How, how many of you still got a ways to go? I love what Ruth Bell Graham's headstone says out of the library, uh, construction completed, thank you for your patience. <laughs> We're all under construction. We all need grace and forgiveness. We need correction, we need discipline, we need learning. Discipleship, that word that's thro thrown around, it really means followership. It means to, to follow in the master teacher, to, to follow in his ways, his words, to walk in his love, his grace, and each of us needs to take a step closer to that. And here's my challenge to each of you. As we start a brand new year, a brand new decade, and many of you have prayed a prayer, you've thought the thought, I wanna be more godly, I wanna be closer to Jesus, whatever that looks like for you. Some of you have been following Jesus for years. Some of you have just begun a relationship with Jesus. Some of you are exploring what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. But most of you have prayed a prayer, Lord, I wanna be closer to you. I wanna know more a year from now. I wanna be, I wanna be more the person that you've called me to be. I, I, I wanna be... The, the, the truer version of who you've created me to be a, a year from now, more than I am right now. And, and I wanna tell you, the answer to that prayer, a big part of the answer to that prayer lies in how you deal with the relationships in your life. And more importantly, how you allow God to deal with you in those relationships. So I wanna challenge you as we start this series to begin in your own heart for some of you, again, the, 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 the greatest sandpaper person in your life is you. It's the person looking right back at you to begin to think about your own life, your own heart, how God wants to work in and through you this year. What, what, what if, what if God has placed the people in your life for this moment, for this time, to make you more into his image, to help you to live the version of your life that he's called you to, not your own version, but his version, the purpose that he's asked you to complete in this world. We're not promised tomorrow, gang. We're not promised tomorrow, we have today. This is the day. This is the day that God has made. Today is the day of salvation. What is it that God's calling you to today to take a step closer to him? And, and specifically in this series, in relationship to other people and in relationship to yourself, how can you invite Jesus into your heart, into your life, into your relationships, with your words, with your actions? What would that look like? Paul wrote these words to the church at Thessalonica. Let's finish here. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. Maybe just write the reference down. I've got it up on the screens for you to look at as well. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, another foundational verse for this series in relationship to each other. Paul writes, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We get an insight there that Paul wants to encourage that church to keep doing what it's doing. And if you're not building one another up, if you're not encouraging one another, then start doing it. But if you are building one another up, if you are encouraging one another, then keep doing it. It's that important that Paul captures it here in this instruction to them. I love that word build because as we think about sandpaper and crafting and building something, again, what if God wants to use the one another's around you 
the people around you. That phrase, one another, repeats itself over and over and over and over and over again in the Bible. The relationships that you have around you are important. They're essential. The community that God's placed you in. And God wants to use those one another's to build you up, to encourage, and he wants you to do the same with the one another's in your life, maybe even the difficult ones. So bottom line today as we begin the series, we all have sandpaper people in our lives. We all are sandpaper people. And God uses sandpaper people. I'm gonna be teaching four life-changing principles, I believe life-changing, relationship-changing principles, not from me, but straight from the scriptures the next four weeks. Let, let me give you a quick preview. Next week, we're gonna talk about accepting the person. And again, for some of you, your sandpaper person is you. Learning how to accept the person as being created in the image of God and loved by God. The following week, we're gonna talk about forgiving the hurt. Then we're gonna talk about confronting the offense. All of these are so important, but that one, woof, we're gonna talk about the difference between combat and confrontation. And then fourthly, we're gonna commit to health. Because the truth is that healthy relationships can be and often are difficult relationships. The opposite of health is, 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 is not that, you know, everything is daisies and roses and ice cream. Some of your healthiest relationships that are committed to health can be difficult, frustrating relationships because God wants to use them to mold and shape you into his image. So I want you to do this for me. I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to challenge them with these words. Be here the next four weeks. All right, if you're watching online, you can just look in the mirror and challenge yourself. Be here the next four weeks for these life-changing principles about how to deal with the sandpaper people in your life. To him alone be the glory today. Let's pray together. Let's pray together as we close. Father, Father, thank you for this time. We don't take it for granted. We're grateful. We're a gr we want to be a grateful people. We're grateful for your word, for your truth. Thank you for not giving up on us. Help us to not give up on one another. Would you help us to walk in love as beloved children, as sons and as daughters of the Most High King? Would you help us to, to think about what we can give in relationship and not always what we can get? Give us the wisdom today, Father, to know what you're speaking from your word, your truth to us. And now give us the faith to obey. In your name we pray, amen, amen.